This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal cast. So today, uh, we're going to do a deep dive into something we've been touching on for about the last year, and that's uh, after conversations with some distros, LGSs, etc., a deep dive on how COVID has actually impacted print runs based on feedback from wholesalers. So this is like, you know, a little bit of a general timeline, when the set releases, when the print run happens, and how it's going to affect reprints, and what that means for the prices of these sets. Because, you know, print runs are insane right now, so harboring sealed product for years isn't always the best idea. And we're going to take a look at if maybe some of these sets are a good idea to just sit on sealed product for a little bit if it is a bit more of a sensible investment mm -hmm. than it was, you know, two years ago when we were in Return to Return to Return to Ravnica. So, without further ado, let's get started. Yeah, so... We weren't really sure how the lockdown would actually affect the printing of cards because the uh, Carta is in Texas, correct? Uh, one of them, yeah. One of them, one of the Carta plants is in Texas, so uh, Texas was kind of always in a an area of flux in regards to lockdown, and eventually they did. So that's going to impact immediately the ability for Watsi to get their standard print runs out to the gaming populace. And it doesn't affect all sets. It really just kind of starts at a specific point in time. And we're really starting to look at this with Acoria. Acoria starts printing basically at the end of uh, 2019. It releases in April of 2020. That's about a six-month lead time to really start printing. So they get you know maybe three or four months lead time which means they're able to do their first wave based on distro and allocation they might be able to get a second wave in based on interest and now this is where things kind of get interesting because we go into lockdown for the most part in the united states a month ish a couple weeks before the release of Acoria. so this is the last set that really sees this great demand for paper product and we kind of see things start to fluctuate in regards to overall numbers and not a stagnation of quantity of cards and market or prices but uh, a desire for a lot of the tournament staples as a whole there's a lot more copies of these cards floating around right now than one would expect if people are ready to get back into paper and so the the idea that kind of spark this cast is something that I've been listening uh, heard actually and a number of other magic related podcasts that are not related to finance but play and I, uh, LSV has mentioned this in either in a, a constructed resources or a limited resources and I believe Jarvis you also mentioned it as well that once people are ready to return to play they're going to look to pick up these cards and paper and they're going to need a lot of the, this kind of back catalog of cards and starting with Acoria, we start to lose out on these print waves. So when people come back and they look for what are currently like low to mid-range price staples like Luris and uh, Sharknado from Acoria, the prices that we have now on both the, on all versions, but I, I'm mainly going to focus on the set regular and full art, non-foil for both, are basically set to explode 
because by the time we're able to get back into paper play, we're basically going to have passed the window for a full third and fourth printing of a chorea. And something interesting with the chorea that we noted is that it basically fought with Commander 2020 for printing. And whether or not we even got a full second wave of either of those is kind of TBD. It's not something we really have great insight into because that second wave of printing happened at the beginning of 2020 in Q1. And so a was really the set we wanted to start with and discuss because this is the one that is like the most impacted but in an awkward fashion because it got like unabated printing for at least the first wave and then like hard stop. And it's interesting too because it's one of those sets where the print run was somewhat due to how they restructured the releases of sets and how new products hit, all of a sudden you have what used to be a normal print run cannibalized by multiple products that aren't necessarily the same set, that are using the same amount of resources when you combine with, you know, obviously COVID and everything, it's a little bit of a change. Uh, you know, after that, you had a very short turnaround to Core 21, which was another thing because this is kind of like where you see the start of this is going to be here. It's not going to be with Throne because we got a full supply of Throne. So we wanted to start at basically what was the Guinness of all of this and try to look through the timeline of here's the sets, here's where they came out, here's where they were impacted, here's what they can do. And part of that is obviously taking a look at when they rotate. So as my lovely co-host said, we're looking at the end of next year for rotation on Aquarian Core 21. Personally, these are not sets that I would look to stock up on because of the print run, because they kind of got a full print run. Obviously, we don't know for sure because Wizards isn't exactly transparent about any of that stuff, which is their prerogative. Uh, so I'd, for me, I'd err more on the side of caution with one like this, because not only do we have you know potentially a full print run, we've got it rotating sooner than later, yep. uh, which to me means there's like people may not go as deep on these cards depending when we have paper events again. You know, I've heard some vendors that, you know, talk to some of the higher ups at channel. I've heard from some people at, you know, whatever TO organizations, pastimes, whatever, they're like, maybe Q3. Well, Q3 is late enough that people may just not care about Core 21 or Aquaria. Yeah. So for me, I'd be a little months. bit more cautious. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'll buy like five cards for my deck and then just deal with not paying the money for two months when they rotate. Looking at Core 21 and uh, Akori especially, it's kind of interesting to see like you <clears throat> have multiple variants of these cards, right? Akori being the standout one because it has the Godzilla stuff and that really muddies the waters. So if you're going to do something like look at Dawn Glare for this, which I've got pulled up but is, is a mess to show even in, in video, like the first, I don't know, three, six, eight or so cards are all Godzilla variants until you get to full art Lurus and full art Shark Typhoon, then it's more Godzilla stuff. And to really get into the meat of the set and find cards that are worth anything, you basically fall down to $9, and that's when you see like uh, Ketria Triome, which is the Teamer Triome, uh, Lurus, and Fiend Artisan, the Ozolith. Everything else more expensive is basically a, a full art or Godzilla version of this card. So holding regular boxes of this set is a little more of a bitter pill to swallow than it would be normally because so much of this value 
is tied up in the Godzilla prints and the full art stuff and the chance to open them while there in a regular set or draft booster is much lower than if you were holding uh, collector booster boxes, CBBs. I think if you had a CBB of this set, uh, Core 21, I'd be fine sitting on those because of... or Yeah, Core 21 did CBBs. I'd be fine yeah. with that because of the intrinsic value in the... the dedicated re, uh, full arts and alt arts that you're going to get, but holding regular set boxes of these to me is a, a little more unsavory than it usually is for somebody who would want to flip sealed. I mentioned the demand for a lot of these cards. Akoria does kind of fall flat. Outside yeah. of tournament staples, there's not a lot. Mutate was kind of a miss for EDH, and when you look at it, uh, there's one card with Mutate that hits, and it's... Um, I think it's the Sultai Mutate card because you can replay it from your graveyard. Yeah. And that's about it. If you check uh, EDH Rec for the set, it's really not that popular for EDH Rec. It's Triumphs, the lands? Yeah, exactly, right? But any set that does unique lands that are like kind of tournament staples, they're going to fall into EDH, right? So I like bucketing those separately. Uh, people aren't just going to crack packs for the, the Triumphs, uh, I don't think, for EDH. And like I said, the, after that, the value just kind of tanks. Some of the ultimatums here and there, like Genesis is, the, is a tournament staple right now, uh, as well as is it Emergent is the Sultan yeah. one, you know, and just regular printing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of value to these boxes long term as people try and chase like the three companions that are being played in, in EDH. That said, if you're able to buy into this stuff cheaply as singles in the full art, non-foil... I think that is a lot more savory in the long term because of the inevitable just short on product overall. And this, this is the, one of the times where if you have the space to dedicate to sealed, unless you have the CBBs, I would push against sealed and push for these singles that are seeing EDH play as the full art versions or the Godzilla versions because they have the intrinsic value already. They're going to hold. You don't have to worry about it. You know, in stark contrast to that, for me, I think the supplementals are an incredibly good hold, specifically Jumpstart and Double Masters. Jumpstart's a little bit different for me because, so, obviously, you have, was July, I think, that it came out. Yeah. Uh, the print run, assuming the six-month lead-up, which, again, this is assuming standard lead-ups because we don't know how things were impacted by covid in terms of the production windows. Yes. Yep. Uh, there was a supply issue with the first wave. So that already, you had Allosaurus Rider out of the gate fetching 50 plus dollars just because supply mm -hmm. was so short. We had Double Masters released, released the next month, and they said, hey, we're printing Double Masters, so Jumpstart's reprint is going to be delayed. We'll get to it eventually, but it's delayed. On top of the production or storage issues that you had for Jumpstart and then the delay due to Double Masters, a sizable portion of that print run was misprinted, mm -hmm. uh, which adds extra value to it. I'm sure if any of you were in any of the misprint groups on Facebook, you've seen the proxy dual lands yeah. that are literally just like a mountain printed on top of a swamp. Like it says swamp and there's a red mana symbol in the background of the swamp symbol. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's entire decks that are double, triple printed. And I think in terms of, you know, a reasonable investment, if you can get it at your LGS still and hold on to, Jumpstart's one I would do because we did get a second reprint. 
but it was much smaller than I think we'd originally anticipated because it didn't hit until around Zendikar Rising or Commander Legends, at which point they're going to print those sets because they're trying to sell them. Yep. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I like Jumpstart overall right now. Uh, you know, we kept touting for a while that we would get this other reprint, that we would get it, we would get it, we would get it. And eventually we did get it, like you mentioned, it's smaller, but we have not received the quantity reprint that you and I thought that we would get of this set. And as you mentioned, if you can get it or you have it, I think it is a safe hold at this point. I don't know the life cycle of a supplemental product in regards to printing, but if it started printing... Supposedly, Marrow said it's at will, but we have multiple supplemental sets since, so I think even being at will, we may be past the window for Jumpstart. Just my personal opinion, not reflecting... Yeah. No, I, I think the closer we get to Modern Horizons, the more damning it is that we get, mm-hmm. that we're not going to get another jumpstart printing, and these cars are just going to continue to, to tick up. So if you have the ability to hold, I think you just hold until the end of time. Yeah. You know, the, the top four cards in the set, Allosaurus Rider, Crater Huff, Behemoth, Tiny Bones, Bruvac. And Bruvac was a card that you and I both mused about earlier yeah. in the cast as being a great card to pick up for EDH once we got the other reprint and then you hold but here we are no second reprint right yeah we just got, we just got wasted um double masters to me is a little more interesting than jumpstart overall because there's this weird uh set of stats with the set and it doesn't have to do with the fact that you could literally dumpster dive for upcs on the ce boxes the mail and the watsy and get free uh free packs but it kind of does because the non-foil box toppers are rarer than the foil box toppers and so if you have the ability to keep product with that or buy into singles like on the on the cheap before we get back into paper stoneforge mystics um you just got hoisted with Thoughtseize, but there's some other tournament staples in the box toppers that you can get in on like i would i would move on that as well i think that that's a fine hold i don't see double masters really coming back with, with another wave what's out there is out there because like i said the closer we get to modern to modern horizons 2 the more they're going to have to shift gears to print that set to infinity and beyond and the interesting thing about double masters for me was that you know when it first came out we were both like oh look at that we've got the ravenous trap slot how great would that feel yeah uh and you had a lot of this value that was tied up in lower end cards and it's actually due to the production issues possibly uh has had its recovery time shortened compared to other master sets uh even with the free redemptions and everything else typically your master sets you see like a three to five month turnaround before the prices start recovering mm-hmm. and we saw it with jumpstart as well both of these sets the singles recovered very quickly yep. from peak open which obviously was not a whole lot because we didn't have drafting going on at the time yeah but i think that you know again those two those supplemental sets are really good for that reason uh the one thing to watch out for and this is true of pretty much every set we're going to talk about is obviously foils are a little bit different except for ikoria on core 21 because this is the point where the foil quality dipped drastically so it's not necessarily something where, you know, if I had a bunch of cards sitting around from these sets single-wise, I'd get rid of the foils before the non-foils. But in terms of sealed, I'd be sitting, like you said, on Jumpstart and Double Masters effectively till the end of time. Like, when I'm like, eh, you know, I could use the money, I guess I'll sell it. 
type of deal. It's not something I'd be in a hurry to flip. I'd be fine sitting on these. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Double Masters released in August of 2020. We've got, you know, five-ish months until we come up on the anniversary of that. So again, we're heading towards the life, the end of the life cycle of this product naturally anyway, especially as a supplemental. So it's doubtful that we're going to get much more over time. Whatever Watsi yeah. was sit, is sitting on will eventually get out there, but it, it's doubtful that because they had to do all the UPC redemptions, but it's doubtful that we get another full print wave, be it a third or a fourth print wave for this product. And after Double Masters, that really brings us to this the standard sets that yeah. have been impacted by COVID and print run. Not a delay, sorry. Uh, print, print run shrinkage because yeah. of personnel shrinkage. Zendikar Rising releases in September of 2020. So that means printing started in Q2, you know, April. That yeah. has impacted. This set is legal until Q4 2022. And right now we are past the second wave of print runs, I think heading into the third in regards to life cycle. So we're probably for the life of this product going to be in a world where every print run of Zendikar Rising is going to be affected by COVID delays. And this was one of the first sets that came out where everyone, you know, all the distros were like, look, you know, you're getting your full allocation. You'll get your normal allocation. That's what we're being told. Yep. And then the allocations were halved or less because that was just the reality of the situation so this is you know especially with zendikar rising being one of those first sets that was heavily impacted by it it's going to be probably the most impacted by it because there's not a portion of the window that's sizable that's outside of any type of production issue that isn't also impacted by other standard sets mm -hmm. like your kaldheims your strix havens your dungeons and dragons your twilight set whatever and Similar to the other sets, the further we get along that timeline, the more that I would expect Watsi to say, all right, well, we're going to push the new thing. We've got the shiny new toy. Let's push out a whole bunch of Harry Potter. Yep. Let's push out a whole bunch of D&D. Let's push out a whole bunch of Twilight and kind of leave Zendikar rising on the back burner. And the really interesting thing about that, and you and I were talking about this before we started recording, was looking at the full arts out of that set, not masterpieces, but their masterpieces uh and the fact that zendikar rising had kind of this unique space that it occupied there because the full arts weren't necessarily like sticky like the yeah. Acoria ones were which were the comic art these were like a more iconic format of that and with the insertion that they had i think that adds a lot more value to it because, you know, when I've touched on this in my picks in the past, I like the low end, like incremental, you know, flash factor that mm -hmm. some of these cards have. And for me, Zendikar is probably the one standard set that I would be comfortable holding I, uh, because of that. I, I think so, too. And for me, a lot of it has to do with two factors. One, if you want to play in paper this and then you can just wait out the rotation of Aquaria and... Uh, core 2021 before you start playing again in paper so this is the first set you're going to look at two this is the first set with the multiple the modal double face cards and every one of the mythics is constructed playable which means people are going to be chasing these 
Yeah. And right now, every card that costs about $5 or more is a tournament staple, aside from Forsaken Monument, or has been a tournament staple. Oh, and Ashaya. Everything else. Everything sure. else on this list, right? So this is a set that has immediate tournament play. So once we open up in paper, people are going to be clamoring for this set. And that will continue until 2021. So your turnaround time, if you're holding sealed or you can get in on the cheap, is actually a lot shorter than your standard window. And if I had the ability, the ability to hold sealed and look into the future when this set came out, then yeah, I probably would have bought a, like a case or two of this set to sit on for when we come back into paper and I can start moving boxes. Because... yeah by the time we come out of this like i said we have about a year left so that's kind of third and fourth print wave ish and third and fourth print wave not the largest print waves overall no so, uh that's you know historically where you get your third and fourth combined are usually about the size of the second based on allocations and what you can get which is about the size of the first so it's it's much smaller and that's that's granted return to return to Ravnica print runs. Yeah. Uh, because the other thing, you know, worth touching on is we don't know if, you know, on top of the COVID production, like, you know, we touched on when we were talking about Aquaria, some of this could just be the new norm because of the amount of products that are coming out. You know, prime example being Jumpstart and Double Masters being released in back-to-back -back months mm -hmm. where you've just got overloaded production. And unless we see Carta, like, open up a new factory or something, this could just be you know, granted a, a little bit stricter, but this could be the reality for print runs from now on. Yeah, and I think this is kind of the reality you and I expect to, to live in. We don't expect Carta to keep the lights on 24 hours a day to meet pre-COVID demand for sets like Zendikar, things that are going to no. last past Q4 uh, 2021, you know? So we're setting our expectations based on the reality that we expect because while Watsi is attempting, well, I'm not... Has is it Hasbro or Watsi that wants to do this now, or Hasbro on behalf of Watsi, where they want to basically break out the logistics and almost make Watsi finally in control of its own destiny in regards to uh, shipping direct to Amazon? Like yeah, Hasbro is the distro out of it, shipping Watsi off. So I think they're like similar to when the Hasbro former exec took over as CEO. This is your new direction, but you're independent. Yeah. But, but this is what you're going to do. Yeah, it's something we talked about, though. Watsi can, like, ball up now, and they can finally take over logistics, which they never did. They let another entity handle uh, that. And in this instance, logistics actually means just uh, the shipping and storage of their product, meaning everything Watsi uh, makes as a company. They store it yeah. in their own warehouse, and then it's shipped to uh, either Amazon or distribution through another entity to be housed there and resold. And something that was happening outside of the uh, earner's call that just happened in the last couple of weeks was, I believe we read something about a change in the log in the logistics change chain where Watsi was going to almost sidestep distributors and look to go direct to both Amazon and or players. Yeah. And so, if and it's it's interesting to see too because you've you've got that logistics happening when they're spinning Watsi off on its own thing, when they've totally changed the model of how Watsi works and releases products, and you've got COVID on top of it, and like as an aside, 
I am interested to see what changes back, if anything, yeah. after this happens. Yeah. The the purpose of the tangent was that like while Watsi might be balling up to finally control their own destiny in regards to logistics, I really don't think they're gonna ball up until Car to, to turn the factories on twenty four seven. No now, way. I don't think they're going to do that or make or ask Carter to spin up a third facility to meet these print run demands. I don't think that's going to happen. Watsi yeah. is definitely stepping out onto their own and doing some things to benefit the company and the players of the game on the whole, but I do not think that that is going to be one of them. Yeah. So Zendikar to me represents a, a great hold for the short term because I think it's going to be an easy flip overall. And it being the first impacted set, that we're lo really looking at, this product is underserved. It will remain underserved until they decide to do something about it. And as you mentioned, with the D&D set coming up and the, the Harry Potter-inspired set coming up, it's doubtful that they decide to turn uh, you know, Omnoth.set back on at the print offices when they can just milk the D&D and the Harry Potter product or IPs to the end of the Yeah. From Zendikar Rising, Two months later, we have the Commander Legends release. So we're basically looking at Zendikar Rising and Commander Legends in print at the same time. And Commander Legends is, is an immediately impacted set, but it seems like the demand for Commander Legends isn't as great as Jumpstart, isn't as great as Double Master. So prices on that set and quantity overall is fairly light. It's pretty easy to go out and pick up cards. You're able to spec on that set for a while. Um, there's some really interesting storage options when it comes to Commander Legends, and if you want to open foils that retain their shape, it I am pretty sure this is a humidity issue, so you either need to live in an environment that is decently humid, build a humidor, or have a dehumidifier, and you can like flatten out that set, or you can chance it and open cans of Pringles all day long. Yeah. To me, Commander Legends is a very dicey hold at any point because even at the initial storage location, it was immediately impacted. Yeah. I I don't know that I'd want... I don't want to hold yeah. sealed for sure. And I really don't want to hold singles either. The only, like, singles have been the, like, CEDH staples, your Tana Timna type stuff yep. that got etched foils. But other than that, I personally, I've been avoiding it because this is something that... You know, they've already said the time spiral print run is going to be incredibly limited. Yeah. I would think that if we were to get a supplemental reprint of anything over the last year, Commander Legends is the one that is most likely to happen. If all of a sudden some just gets found in a warehouse after they stop production, that's going to be the set that it happens to. Uh, it's a lowest common denominator, appeal to the broadest audience, yep. the storage issues are bad. And it kind of suffers from the Ikoria problem, where you have a million variations of every card. So it artificially suppresses prices because there are so many versions of everything. Yep. I, I don't think Commander Legends sealed is anywhere where, where I want to be for any reason. But I, I'm fine with singles because they are eminently um, movable. As... Like I said, if you have foils and you're able to effectively create your own humidor or your own humidifier, you know, there are ways to do that if you don't want to buy one, then by all means move in on that. Otherwise, I like the etch stuff, uh, yep. you know, non-foil. And it's a great set to just look at uh, overall. I'm going to be putting out in um, our Patreon Discord in the next couple of days just this EDH document I've been working on, just 
you know, I've mentioned it before, just consuming videos and writing down cards that like seem like they're underserved in EDH overall that actually you know beat or met or exceeded expectations in games. And there's a lot of stuff from Commander Legends that seems to be overlooked that is incredibly yeah. impactful in games. And it, I'm constantly surprised how well designed that set was for Commander and how impactful it became on such a broad format. Yeah, it's it's something that has a lot of upside and it's I recognize that and there's a lot of opportunity there, but for me it really is all about the storage. I'm not saying, you know, necessarily listen to me obviously cuz whatever. But uh, that's my trepidation with it is specifically Commander Legends seems to be the one set where it came out and that's when everything started hitting the fan about these are awful quality cards. I'm pulling them straight out of a booster mm -hmm. and they're already curled into Pringles. It's impacting not just the foils, but the regular cards and everything else. And that's kind of where I'm like, all right, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to step back a little bit. I don't, I don't really want to touch this stuff as much. Yep. You know, yep. uh, absolutely agree. And from Commander Legends, you know, we have where we are now: Call Time and Time Spiral, both released in March of 2021. That means their print run started in Q4 2020. You know, still in, in serious lockdown. They're going to be uh, Call Time is legal and standard until Q4 2022. Time Spiral is a supplemental set, so a year lifespan at print, and that means that the reprint on both of these sets will be immediately impacted. Uh, Time Spiral, I think, is probably going to be just as bad as Jumps, Jumpstart and Double Masters, where we got, so, yeah. we got what we got, and we're heading right into the D&D set. No slowdown, no stopping. And from there, it's just all aboard to Harry Potter and Modern Horizons, and I don't think Time Spiral really sees any kind of reprint call time i think is better off than zendikar rising overall in regards to uh i'm going to use the term reprint equity but it's not really applicable here uh it it does have the ability to see a larger reprint run because texas has opened up recently which means that carta might be able to actually get back to capacity staff and that has an immediate effect on print run for call time in regards to holding either set i don't think i'd like to hold call time that much it's a fun set like there's some great individual cards in there it seems to be decently impactful at the tournament level what happens when they fix the interaction with uh valky and the uh, sultai ultimatum kind of tbd but after that leaves a little bit of a power vacuum outside of Vorinclex. yeah um time spiral i'm kind of iffy on if i even want to buy uh, a, a box my stance on Time Spiral is kind of unique, I think. So I am fine holding this if I can get it for below retail. The other interesting thing is that this is already up on FBA through Wizards of the Coast at 181.75. So we have a floor of 181 on this. At 181, this is probably a Modern Masters level hold where you'll hit your critical mass at about 8 to 12 months, I'd expect, where, all right, we've plateaued. This is our price unless we want to hold for an unreasonable amount of time. The other thing, like we touched on in our last episode when we were talking about Time Spiral Remastered, was 
we don't know if this type of remasters set is going to be the norm now. And if it is, I'm less comfortable holding on to Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, I'm less comfortable holding on to Modern Masters or Modern Horizons because we're getting Modern Horizons 2. Knowing that it is something that is going to be in every year or every other year, that this is a series of sets. Because a lot of the value, I think, in Time Spiral Sealed outside of the cards is obviously the possibility of opening, you know, a $3,000 foil. And the more that we get those foils introduced, the more likely we can see a reprint of Thoughtseize with the old frame, with the same art, that all of a sudden affects the price of original Time Spiral Remastered reprint. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there's pros and cons to that. Personally, I'm probably a little bit more greedy because I would hold it if I can get it for below retail, but I wouldn't hold more than a case. I'm not going to, you know, sit on it like I would in Ultimate Masters where you have like six cases or something and you're like, oh, I'll get rid of them someday. Yeah. Uh, because additionally, you know, Ultimate Masters had the problem where the sealed prices tanked for a little bit because nobody wanted the cards. We're not going to get that with Time Spiral Remastered. I fully expect within three months of release, it's going to be three to $400 a box. I don't want to pay that. No. Not ever. Not. For a in-print whatever product. Yep. Um, not to mention reprint window. Because in terms of set releases, as far as supplementals go, we've got... Modern Horizons 2, and that's it scheduled for the year, right? Correct. Um, Modern Horizons 2 doesn't rep- represent the last thing scheduled for the year. There's uh, some more after that. What do we have? Uh, Innistrad, that's it. Oh, yeah, but uh, sorry, as far as like the supplemental type stuff goes. Oh, yeah. We've got, we've got this and, and Modern Horizons 2. Yep. So we may get a reprint. I don't really think so, but... It's something that I wouldn't necessarily be comfortable holding on to. I would personally, I would say probably stay away from it. It's a bad call on my part. I'll own that, but, you know, whatever. I think out of all the sets we've touched on in regards to hold, this is the one that probably offers the most unique strategy because you can either hold the sealed product and play the uh, the old border lottery like you could with the expedition sets because you know you're going to yep. get an old border card in there and obviously some of them command more of a price than the others but the other 14 cards in the pack short of tarmogoyth and maybe a choice few others aren't really worth the rest of the the price of that pack so you're basically looking at that extra slot for your value and if you want to hold the box and kind of own that premium i think that's perfectly fine the other way to do it would just be to buy in at peak supply and just target singles at peak yeah. supply. You know, people have been fawning over thought seas for a while. There's now a full set that's been opened in non-foil and they look really good. We know what chalice and the, the lotus bloom look like. We know what cranial plating looks like. And I think if you are looking for an opportunity to move higher quantity, Overall, I think singles is the way to go because you'll be able to churn those a lot easier than you're going to be able to churn one full box in time because, you know, it'll be easier to find somebody who wants four thought seeds than somebody who wants an entire box when it costs three, four hundred dollars, you know? The people who want that thought seeds want that thought seeds. You know, they're in that yep. market and they're not that difficult to find. you got Jundal format guy all over the place or, yeah. you know, uh, Grixis Delver guy. The, 
Roland. Yeah. Yeah. And and both of those players can play their entire deck in Old Border now. That's actually yeah. really important to remember when you look at this set and the, the cards they chose. They chose with a purpose. A lot of decks in Modern and Legacy now can be played entirely in Old Border. And I think that is going to lean... Like, that kind of pressure is going to lean on the set and increase the price of boxes over time and make singles easy to churn and an easy way to make profit as well. And you just need to determine what's better for you, your storage space, your wallet, and your timelines. Yeah. And like I said, comparatively to the rest of the sets, I think this time spiral in particular is a lot more interesting to look at than the rest of them right now. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So I, yeah, and again, it's like you said, there's multiple strategies. You can target the singles, you can target the sealed and play the lottery. People love to play the lottery. Yep. People love to play the people playing the lottery. Yes. So there's there's options there. And there are people that think this draft set before they even got their hands on it looked amazing. So eventually you'll probably be able to capitalize on that too. People who just want to go back and with their play group yep. crack this box for a draft. And they'll be out there. You know, there, oh, for sure. be, there's extra strategies for all this stuff. You just need to choose which one you, you want to pick. And I think, like I said, Time Spiral is going to be the most interesting one until we get to Modern Horizons and we start seeing spoilers for that. I think that one might also prove some of the more interesting exit strategies. Uh in regards to everything we've we've looked at that had a print run affected by COVID by the time we got there, but until then, time spirals interesting. Me myself, like I said, uh, I didn't want I don't want to hold the box because I don't want to deal with the the lottery. I'd rather pick up the singles that I want. And like I already, I'm not actually going to look to make any kind of profit off time spiral. I'm literally just going to finish up um, a handful of legacy and vintage decks in old border Japanese because sure. why not own Storm and Dredge and yeah. stuff like that. Old and Old Border Japanese. Yep, exactly. My English pa Pass and Flames is neat, but my Japanese one will be better. That's true. Personal opinion, not facts. No, it's facts. I mean, look, if it cast every spell twice, it'd obviously be better. Yeah, yeah. well... Can't all be that. No, unfortunately. No. All right, you ready for your pick? Yes. All right, take a uh, so, in following with the reserved list memory, kind of an interesting one. Uh, Spirit of the Night. So there's a few things about this card that I like from a design perspective. First off, it's one of the few cards that has protection from its own color. It's also one of only two cards in all of Magic that you can tribute summon, a la Yu-Gi-Oh!, which is great. Yeah. The other interesting thing is that with all of this reserved list fuckery going on, Taking a look at the stocks graph, this is one of the only cards where this is the case. So if you look at the market price, you'll see that it spikes about July this year, starts going on a steady upward trend, and then or last year, sorry, and then January spikes to where we're at now, which is about 14-ish dollars. The interesting thing is that the low for listings does not change. Uh, we are basically at about where we were sitting at currently 370 ish uh according to mtg stocks and the stock has been sitting steadily at between 75 to 125 for quite some time so we've got lp copies for as low as seven dollars right now which is half of market uh, the interesting thing about this is being in the position like this, this is something that has a lot of manipulation going on in the price to influence the stocks graph, but not necessarily the sales to back it up. 
which to me says there's an opportunity here to exploit for profit in some way. Uh, this is something that is a legend, so it has a little bit of EDH viability. I also love the art, which has nothing to do with the price of the card, but as an aside, seriously, look at the art on this card. It's great. Uh, so I'd be looking at, honestly, this is something that we've seen the first reserve list spike on. Because the other thing is, if you look at the market history on this card, going back to 2018, it doesn't really spike before this year. So this is another one of those opportunities, similar to Emberwild Caliph, where we're seeing this happen for the first time. So you can get in on the downturn, which is basically now, because still sitting pretty at about a 7 to $8 LP low is a fine investment price. Granted that you're going to hold on to this until the next reserve list spike when buy lists hit 10 to $15 on this card when we spike again after this valley. Because so far we haven't seen a floor reset. Worst case scenario, you get in now at $7, it's not going down. Because it is a little bit pricier than Emberwild, obviously. It's also a real card that has real abilities. Yes. Unlike Emberwild Caliph, which is garbage. Uh, I mean, to be fair, one of its abilities is fake because it's like half first strike. Yeah, first strike when attacking. Okay, sure. Uh, but I think that this is one of the cards that, similar to Emberwild Caliph, has a little bit of an opportunity on the next reserveless spike. Unlike Emberwild Caliph, I think this is a real card with long-term potential outside of reserveless spikes. I don't think it's the type of thing that's ever going to be worth $50. You're not going to play it in every EDH deck with no. black. You're probably not going to make it as a general unless you really love the art, which I love the art, but I'm not going to make it as a general because that's just some really casual stuff, and that's not for me. Uh, but I think that you're looking at probably in the fall when we hit another reserve list bump, like we historically do that time of year, yep. at around a seven to fifty or sorry, a ten to fifteen dollar buy list on this once copies start drying up. The interesting thing about this as well is that this is one of the few cards that I found on the reserve list that is, like, not real necessarily. It's not your mode. It's not your Chains of Mephistopheles. Mm -hmm. Where the price is similar on MKM after conversion as it is to TCG Player, uh, which means that this isn't the type of thing that's easily going to be arbitraged to counter any sort of pricing issue. Because there's times where, you know, early on in the Mox Diamond spike, we saw Mox Diamond for about 100 euros less in Europe, so you could just arbitrage some over and make money. That opportunity does not exist with this card. So it's something that's a little more feasible for me to see it go up long term because you don't have that opportunity to easily fix the price if it starts to correct. Yep. Now, Spirit of the Night is an interesting card. Um... I have seen this card in binders. I think I can count on a number of times. One hand. Like, yeah. I have been successful in trading for it exactly zero times. Yep. Because I, I've loved this art. I've loved this card. And it's something I forget about all the time. And I think that's really kind of what this is. It doesn't it seem to exist on vendor sites overall. Uh, no. Card Kingdom has one... Channel Fireball site doesn't want to load anything. Um, they have one as well. So it really is extracting this card from the free market to kind of make hay. Yeah. And then you know, just run it back in. Uh, I don't even know if Card Kingdom's buying. I can take a look real quick. Uh, but this is just something that floats along but is 
pseudo real because like you said it is eminently useful yeah it does something without serious drawback either for a card uh like this of its era ck is buying 24 at seven dollars a piece there's almost immediate arbitrage opportunity 9 10 in credit you can almost just push tcg player quantity of lp plus to card kingdom right now for an immediate out on this card um for what it's worth uh tribute summoning as you said means sacrificing creatures urborg panther and breath stealer also drawn by cliff nielsen they look just as weird as uh yeah it's as, great i love weird it of the night. yeah <laughs> and it's not an art evocative card not so much so it just kind of floats on by and i think this is one of those things where i i'm fine sitting on for a while you just stock it and forget it and eventually yep. you'll make your out the price discrepancy that you brought up uh, or lack thereof rather is also really interesting because it means you're basically just able to extract quantity from wherever you need to and you can either play the game yourself and shut and vendor shuffle things from mkm to tcg player or vice versa or just extract from both marketplaces and you know create a run if that's what you want to do if you're if you're in the mood for it because quantity is super low or not and just wait for it to dry over time because this is not a card that is in high quantity in good condition seemingly anywhere outside of tcg player and even then there's a whole 27 copies that are lp plus yeah there's there's not a lot there so it's a pretty pretty decent opportunity mm -hmm. to you know work with some friends and just move it yeah yeah um, like i said even overall just sitting on it for a while if you want also perfectly fine too with the the awkward difference between market and uh, average almost being a double up in CK buying at average, it speaks volumes about the fact that you're going to be able to move this thing quickly, but, you know, in the short term, if you're able to get in under, you know, $10 or so, and that is uh, immediately an option. Even going so far as to buy at up to $9 on TCG Player, that gets you seven copies, you can just ship straight to CK for immediate profit. Like, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a, a great quick hit, a quick flip, or a, a great long-term hold. Uh, no matter what, I don't think you lose on this card. Um, I'm going in another direction. I'm going with a Planeswalker that I've been watching forever this week, and a Planeswalker I played in Standard. So uh, I'm going with uh, Garuk Primal Hunter, specifically from uh, M12, just because it's the first set it was in. It's the M12 and M13. Uh, it's same card, same art, no change in the frame, but... Uh, I just like going with the original when possible. I, that was all glare. I've got no idea what you held up. Oh, uh, the Garuk Primal Hunter I have signed by Cassius Mars, Mr. Foil King. Fair enough. From M12. Yep. So the, the Stocks Graph tells an interesting story of the reprint in the 2019 Commander set that just causes uh, a plummet. But uh, I'll speak to that and why this pick has been sitting on my list for almost a year in a, in a minute. So uh, initially... You know, Card Kingdom was buying $24, $2.25. There are 219 copies of this on TCG Player, LP or better, for $2.21. As of adding this to the, uh, the show notes on Friday, uh, Card Kingdom is buying 17 at $1.50. They're currently buying 21 at $1.50, so that's a $0.75 cent drop in price overall. But quantity buying stays about the same after the weekend. Uh, TCG Player... Quantity dropped from 219 at 221 to 145 at 244. So there's 
demand for this card finally that's why it's been sitting on my list so this card highly playable in any green deck that wants to go big make tokens or play off the cards in hand as the minus three to draw is incredibly real so uh garuk comes down as a five cmc planeswalker loyalty three plus one to make a three three beast minus three to draw cards equal to the greatest power among creatures you control and if you have more than one creature and somebody kills the largest creature you control or creature with the largest power you control you still draw the cards but equal to the power of the next largest creature you control no matter what you're getting those and then uh garuk's minus six is you just make a bunch of six six worms equal to the number of lands you control so it plays this really interesting game across three different themes in green that are fairly well represented uh, i'll bring this up on rec right now the newest toy it got is vorinclex uh, not as a commander, just in the 99. And when you look at commanders, you see pretty quickly exactly what I'm talking about. You have Multani up at the top, which is looking at cards in hand. Uh, you have Salava, Storev, uh, Gromaha, uh, Galta, all looking at cre uh, creature power, which makes the draw super live as well as the uh, the plus three. And you just keep going down. You just see great green stuff all the way down. Um, eventually, you start branching out into green decks that aren't heavy and just splashable. Um, but you know you can play this really anywhere you want three green pip three green pips on five not the hardest so the dip i mentioned earlier uh in the stocks graph is where this gets reprinted in the 2019 commander deck primal genesis which is a nea token deck that promotes both the go wide strategy and the go big strategy across the entirety of the 99 so even there, Watsi is just feeding you the idea that this is not a one-dimensional planeswalker. And once you dig in, this isn't even really a two-dimensional planeswalker. This guy almost plays 4D chess, right? Yeah. Super, super useful. So uh, format information in regards to EDH, uh, you know, you have uh, Kosama and Voren Klex, which offer new utility. Uh, but this can feature prominently in any base green deck that isn't looking to get under its opponents. Remember, this costs five, and you're just making a 3-3 three, three or drawing cards. This isn't great for something like Toski or any other like small green deck that just wants to punch somebody in the face real quick. Um, it pluses to protect itself or minuses to draw cards, like I mentioned, and it's immediately impactful to the game. It offers a contained threat that left unchecked can win the game regardless of what your overall plan is so that speaks to its eminent splash ability you could be playing you know just soul tie control and this is a win con on its own after you draw cards it just does yeah. so much and offers so much versatility so this allows garuk to flex outside of mono green decks into green slanted lists as it requires three green pips to cast like i mentioned it makes it a little hard but not difficult in green light decks but it still maintains both its power and its utility. So the timeline on this, and this is uh, more in depth about the, the Q3 dip and the, the lull, right? So we saw Q3, Q4, there was an EDH lull. We've seen this for a while. It's why I've been sitting on some of these cards. We mention it all the time. For whatever reason, there was just this real big stagnation in 2020 Q3, to, uh, Q4. And Garuk was impacted by that. We take a look at the stocks graph and it just ropes forever despite the fact that the mark like the average uh flexes but the market just keeps dancing around right so it's just steady forever it just rides this wave and eventually uh bam reprint 
but continued support for green and EDH continues to bring new looks and renewed demand. So we're getting out well, well ahead of a card that was and is again seeing growth. That's the really important part was even though the growth is light recently, we're finally starting to see that upward trend starting around uh, Aquaria. It's been ticking up ever so slowly. CK Bialis was a lot lower than it is, but it's finally started to trend up. So the open mar market price has recovered, which is a positive note towards future growth, but the vendor violist uh, stagnation points to a larger parts, sorry, points to a longer term hold. And based on the current charts, my expectation is almost a year before we're able to flip for a decent margin. Now that stagnation has kind of passed. We're starting to see it increase both in quantity and price, but we're still probably looking about a year because it is a very slow trend overall. So end of the day, it's not a flashy card. It's really just a workhorse, so I don't expect a spike in the short term, but at the same steady growth uh, we have come to expect from these kinds of cards, like I said, about a year. I think it's interesting, too, that this does, you know, long term, even longer than what you're saying, this is something that's always going to be liquid because it's one of the most green cards I think I've ever seen in the history of Magic. It makes dudes... It draws cards, which green is incidentally good at, and it makes really big dudes. Yep. And it's the type of thing that appeals to casual players because it makes big dudes and does a bunch of stuff, and appeals to your more like knowledgeable competitive players because it creates so much card advantage just by being on the field. Mm -hmm. And it, like you said, with more eyes getting on it and the more that we get help for green, the more dedication for green there gets there. The more Garrick Tribal we end up with, because we're at what I don't know, forty Garrick Planeswalkers. We're at a lot, but we finally got Garrick, uh, Garrick back. We didn't have Garrick for a very long time. Nissa yeah. took his place because of the Gatewatch. Remember that too. Yeah, and I think that this is the type of thing that, as we get Garrick back more in the storyline, you're going to have people reaching back further in time to get these. And I think that, you know, obviously we'll see how things go. I wouldn't be too concerned about a reprint from this one outside of like a Masters or a Commander set, but even then, you know, looking at the prices of foils on this card, they're not exactly expensive. No. So it's something that even if, you know, for me, I'd be fine just picking some of these up to throw in a trade binder that I may sit on for a little bit, and once the card hits like, you know, five, ten bucks, be like, all right, I'm going to break these out in the trade binder to go on the floor yep. and see what I can do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last two points I want to make on this are actually speaking to something that you said. Uh, one is, yes, this is a very, very green card, but I think people were overlooking this for War of the Spark Nissa that basically gave yep. you a mana flare and yep. uh, allowed you to promote a bigger or faster game by giving you that, that one-sided mana flare for your forest. So this gets overshadowed pretty quickly. The second point in regards to a reprint is when you look at the, the Garuk Planeswalkers in particular, by name alone, the Garuk Planeswalkers tell his story. Right? Yeah. So... It's very difficult to want to reprint one of these cards in a core set when you're furthering your story outside of this character when the naming convention for Primal Hunter was used at a very specific point in time in the story before, um, is it Core 15, where we got the second green-black uh, Apex yeah, Predator? Apex Gurukh, Predator, yeah. Yeah, where Guruk just went AWOL from then on. Yep. Guruk's name tells a story, so it's very evocative of a time in the game based on lore, and they're not super hesitant to do reprints that kind of go against current fluff by re-dredging old fluff, but that does kind of speak against a reprint in a standard set, more towards something in supplemental. 
Uh, yep. I don't know how this card plays in sealed. I wasn't playing sealed at that point in time, but it is uh, um, amazing and constructed and probably not terrible uh, in a master's draft and definitely great for an EDH product. But the next time we get uh, a reprint on this card, if demand kind of continues the way I see it going and in the time since that dip, we've had some great support for green. Yeah. It kind of speaks that this card will be buoyed just based on how good it actually is, and people will start to recognize that as they're digging through EDH cards, digging for EDH cards, and looking at, okay, if I want to go big in hand, what are my best options? If I want to go wide, is there a Planeswalker that helps me do that? If I just want to make tokens and ensure that I have a threat after a creature board wipe, what can I do? Yeah. And Garuk fits into so many game plans that I expect this demand helps breed new demand by updating rec, adding to rec, getting more content out there. People can come back and see this card and push it. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a really solid choice. There's a lot of upside to it. And you know it goes back to the casual edh thing yep. that there's always liquidity there you're never going to not be able to get rid of the card yep. so exactly don't have to worry about getting stuck with it nope nope uh, it's not a planeswalker i might having in in my collection and not a planeswalker i mind picking up at any point in time so yeah uh, anything else on picks or sets this week Nope, I think that about covers it for me. All right, so I think that's going to be it for this week. Thank you for listening. You can find MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, at MTG Cabalcast. We are also on Patreon, Facebook, Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, at MTG, MTG Cabalcast there. I am at Halt I am Reptar on Twitter. You are... At Thirsty Sizzler. I forgot something, but we'll see you next week. <laughs>